fellow watch lovers, nerds, enthusiasts, or however you identify. This is the 40 and 20 podcast with your hosts, Andrew and my good friend Everett. Here, we talk about watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Everett, how are you? I'm good. It's the weekend. It's the freaking weekend. It is. I'm uh, I- I'm on my lazy Sunday, where all I'm doing today is this, I think. Yeah. Is there anything else to do on a Sunday? Well, I mean, it seems like... Game of like Thrones? Uh, duh. Game of Thrones. Well, yeah. So I watched the final round of the masters this morning which was so stinking good although i didn't expect it to be on as early as it was it was already halfway through by the time i even crawled my way out of bed uh because they have those pending storms um so that was that was interesting to wake up and be like i'm missing it that's a good way to start the day that's one of the best parts about living on the west coast most sporting events start east coast time and they're mid-morning right so like football season here is the best because you wake up on sunday morning and you turn the tv on and it's football and right. then football's over at like 5 30 p.m like you're done you're, you're done, done for the day it's not like in, in the even central time or east eastern time where that's your whole day you wake up you get your day started and then you go to bed after football yeah it's i love west coast sports observing you, you know when i was living in charlottesville we were you, you know basically weekends totally free so if we didn't go somewhere we would spend all day saturday watching college football or whatever uh, and we the the place was buffalo wild wings so i remember some days we'd get to buffalo wild wings at one and like drag ourselves back up the hill to campus at you know one o'clock in the morning when <laughs> you know some of those last back 12 games were wrapping up um it was a ton of fun but yeah it was a totally different schedule i hated i hated waking up at you know eight thirty nine and not having any football for several hours like five hours it was the worst uh so yeah I'm a, I'm, I'm a west coast guy i know we live and die by sort of w- what we know i think just about everybody does but i'm a much bigger fan of our west coast sports schedule y- y- you know they have trouble getting people to tune into pac-12 after dark games on the east coast because Who's going to watch a football game that starts at 11 p.m.? That's right. Yeah, it's really tough. So West Coast for life. Yeah. yeah. It was a good way to start the day. I love but Lazy Sundays. I think the Masters, the first uh, the first uh, matchup teed off at 730 East Coast time, 430 here. Crazy. It's They're... like watching the World Cup, getting up at 230 <laughs> in the morning to watch a game. <laughs> no. Uh, but yeah, pretty cool. You know, uh, I sort of cut my teeth on watching Tiger, uh, you know, in the late nineties and early two thousands and, uh, you you know, say what you will about the man. He's just a man, but there's still this part of me that's got so much hero worship and, you know, Thursday afternoon, I'm like, Tiger's in contention. You you know, I get this, I feel this excitement. Uh, and I remember thinking last night, you know, he's two shots back. Anything can happen. Uh, Molinari is playing, you know, some of the best golf in his life. Obviously, Finau and Kepka, these guys, and you know, Dustin Johnson. For 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 the love of God, you know, these guys are young and top of their game. And so, when you look at you know old man Woods, it feels like you know what are the odds? And, and they're low. You know, even with the way he's playing right now, you know, I think he's maybe tenth in the world this year which is great you know that's incredible incredible but man to watch him walk up that 18th fairway uh knowing 
all, all he needed was a bogey and he wins the masters uh just brought back all these feelings these really cool feelings for me so it's just neat you know i think we're watching history he hasn't won 10 years well, 11 years 11 yeah. years yeah and his last masters was 2005 uh so you, you know these feelings that are so familiar you, you know you tuned in on sunday for you know i don't know 10 years there and it was like well it's it's sunday so tiger how much is tiger winning by today uh, you know, I think he was number one in the world for like five or six years a long straight. long time. Um, and, and nobody was even close to him, you, you know, for, for some of that period of time. So to see it right now, to, to watch him walk up and, you, you know, it was different though. It's different, right? He didn't have any of the looseness. Um, and, and you can imagine. I think all the pressure that's sitting on his shoulders. I mean, the, the his drought has lasted longer than a lot of his competitors' careers. Right. That's right. crazy. Yeah. Well, his, his master, his, yeah. uh, his major, his major's drought is, yeah. I mean, he's, he's won recently, but you know, it just felt, it just never felt real. And, and I'll tell you, uh, Kepka, who, who actually I would have picked to win this thing. I just love that guy. And I think he's in great shape and, uh, he hasn't played really good, but you could just see he had everything in line. Uh, Kepka misses that last putt and it gives Tiger that, that, that space he needed and he needed it because he missed his putt you know Kepka makes it tiger still misses and we're in a playoff you, you know with these huge storms pending you know who who knows the drama could have been uh more than it was because as it was it was a little bit anticlimactic you know when he when he pitches onto that green with uh, two shots to to putt in you know he's gonna get there so um but he he had that hard that firm set of his jaw which i think is is something that people don't like he gets that intense set to his jaw where he doesn't take anything else in you know so much competition and that fierce concentration he has in him um but it didn't feel it didn't feel good until he sunk that putt and you could see 11 years of terrible feelings he talked a little bit about that champions dinner he went to a couple years ago where he had to basically fly from there to England to get his, you know, back fused Mm -hmm. because he was in so much pain. He had to have uh, an ejection prior to the champion's dinner. And like, can you, gosh, can you imagine going from that to two years later at, you know, 85 years old or whatever he is to winning the masters? It's crazy. Really cool. Say what you will. Like I said, say what you will about the guy. And he's been through some shit. Um, It just felt cool. Like I I feel like a kid again, watching Tiger win the masters. I regretted not being able to watch it, but since I was, drawing near on nap time i had the choice of making sure that i had a kid happily going to nap or watching tiger win the masters <laughs> fair enough fair enough yeah well good how are you doing man can't complain i am in my last week of fun employment where i will begin my last week this week which is kind of bittersweet i've really enjoyed doing not doing nothing but having no real obligations every day which has been terrific i was gonna say what's the bitter part of the I mean, the bitter part is that I have to go back to work. Oh, okay. Okay. So I was thinking about the opposite way. And, but then at the, you know, the sweet part is like, it'll, it'll be nice to get back into a routine and go to work and. R- routines not, are overrated. Yeah. But there's something to be said about, I, it's hard for me to wake up before 8am if I have nothing to do. If I have something to do, I can get up at 2.30 in the morning. I don't have to sleep. But if I have nothing to do, whew, it's hard to get out of bed. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to getting out of bed and getting into routine. I also find that. You know, it's very much an object in motion philosophy. Uh, if I'm at rest, I will stay at rest. Yeah. <laughs> I I can, I'll tell you, I've watched 
three seasons, no, excuse me, four seasons of Game of Thrones. Uh, and, and you're ready for tonight, I'm I assume. Very ready for tonight. By the time, by the time these folks hear this, everybody will have all, already have developed their final fan theories. But we are still sitting in this place of innocence and unlimited possibilities. Mm. I was talking to somebody about that today. There are some limits to the possibilities. A few. I mean, there, there, there's. With George Martin, you're you're right. They're, they're they're relatively unlimited. Yeah. So I was talking about that with somebody already today, and my my we were discussing what tonight's going to do, and we were trying to decide if it's going to be a story episode to build and set the stage for the balance of the season. But because it's it's an hour long, I think they're going to start with some story building, and then throw it all out the window, very George R. R. Martin style, just throw everything we thought could be possible to the wind. I am excited. You know, Kim and I just sort of doing a last last few episode catch up and, you know, uh, watching. Hey, guys, spoiler alerts. Uh, so feel free to turn this off. If you're not up to date, turn it off. But it's been two years, so. You should be up to date. Good Lord. Get caught up. Uh, but watching, uh, you, you know, that scene, that sort of scene on the rock in the middle of the lake uh, where, where John and, you know, all these the best characters in the show are all sort of standing on this rock and, and fighting it out. You've got the hound and um, you, you've got the guy who dies and comes back again. Whose name is Beric Dondarrion Beric and Dondarian. Thoros. Who's already been mauled by a, by a zombie bear. Right. You, you know, you've got these guys who are, you, you know, the, the heart and soul of the, the strength, you, you know, they're the tip of the spear for the, the fire army as it were. Um, and and these guys are are just desolate, and they're st- you know they wake up and they're standing there, and then the zombies realize they can cross the ice, and of course Danny blazes in, literally blazes in on a dragon, and, and saves them, and then you know the the euphoria is broken by the death of the dragon, and it's like gosh. But then the euphoria comes back when you watch that bitch burning the wall with ice fire. Right, R- right. Uh, I don't know. I mean, there's 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 a certain amount of it's not euphoric. It's like oh, I was I was jacked. Oh my gosh! I was on my feet cheering when I watched the zombie dragon burning the wall <laughs> in the same manner I was when I watched Joffrey choking on poison. <laughs> well, so you, you you know the writing's really good. The action's really good. The the story is good. I mean, I think that's what it is, right? The story's good. And real characters. Characters that you both love and hate. That There's something that feels so real about these characters who, throughout the entirety of it, they're, they're really well humanized and they're really well villainized all in the same, even in the same scenes. Uh, I, I was, I'm, I'm on season three again and watching the scene when Jamie Lannister is recounting his version of killing the Mad King and it being a result of him wanting to not see all of King's Landing burn with Dragonfire, I was like, oh, I forgot about that. That's That was when you changed your mind about Jamie, when you realized that this is this is a dude who you can really like. And then from that point, he kind of he takes his turn and becomes a really likable, though also arguably bad guy yeah. in, the, in the series. And I'm... I could talk about this all day. You, you, you know, I, I think w- one of the few characters that they've struggled to, I, I, even though they've t- they've tried at times, but Cersei Lannister, I think that they have struggled to make her human, um, and, and that may be 
that the show needs a real villain. You, you, you know, even Littlefinger um, goes back and forth, right? You, I think you know, he was the worst. Well, he was the worst. He was the worst. Because he but... was only out for him. He had, like, no other positive influences in his life. It wasn't like he was out for his kids or his family or, or... He was just up for him. But we can relate to that, right? I, I mean, there's a certain part of every human that can relate to that, you, you, you know, versus Cersei, who I think it's harder to relate to the evil that lives in Cersei. And, and I think there have been times where they tried to make her relatable in terms of her maternity or not maternity. Yeah, maternity. Maternal instincts. Maternal yeah. instincts. That's right. You, you know, she's got this part of her that's this doting mother, um, but it, it, it never shines through as a notable uh characteristic so yeah the i think the what i'm dreading most about this series ending is that i i know it can't have a happy ending because if it does have a happy ending you're gonna feel betrayed it won't (laughs) feel very game of thrones you'll be like oh well that was canned like way to go i i just but i want a happy ending at the same time but i i also know that there can't be one you know, I think it'll probably, it'll be one of those things where you'll have to to adjust your expectations of happiness around what they give you. Because <laughs> I, I assume it'll be an op- optimistic, even if it's not happy. I, really? Yeah, that is my assumption. I don't think the bad guys win. I don't think they win either, but I don't think the people we want to win win either. That's possible, which is which is almost exactly my, my point. Okay. Uh, yeah. That's so. fair. All right. Well, we got some watch news that we could talk about. Let's do it. You know, I, I've actually been reading about podcasts recently, uh, you, you know, just sort of being thoughtful. We're always fairly thoughtful about what we're doing here. And I, I see a lot of um, I see a lot of if you've got a podcast, you need to get to the topic. Don't spend 15 minutes bullshitting and jawing uh, about whatever, because that makes it hard to listen to the first 15 minutes. And, and what I do is I, I wind up skipping through the first 15 minutes. Um, I, I would say two things to that. I, I would say one, we, you, you and I, and, and you can speak for yourself on this, but I'll speak for you in the, in the interim. I think you and I have sort of decided that this is going to be, a sit around and talk to each other type of podcast. So, you, you know, it, we don't talk about all the things we talk about in life when we sit here. I, I think that we um, talk about things that we imagine at least some of our audience would like to hear about. You, you know, so it's it's tailored in some ways. Um, but in the other sense, I, I think, and I could be wrong in thinking this, I think at least some of our audience likes what we do when we when we bullshit so i don't know that it's something that i'd want to take away and i assume you feel the same way what i would say is if you feel that way um you you can feel free to skip through this stuff um and but but maybe give us some feedback if you hate this uh or, or this isn't isn't your thing let us know and we can maybe put a marker in you, you know watch talk starts at such and such time i'd have no problem with that i'd yeah, love to be able be to easy. connect with yeah. you guys on, on your level um but but give us some feedback i I don't think it's something we're going to take out no the what we've what we've set out to to create here is a uh watch-based conversation that's why you'll hear us open beers i mean this is uh our version of inviting you to join us in a at a table drinking beer talking about mostly watches but just like sitting down with anybody you're not gonna you don't create an agenda when you go in and meet some friends to bullshit like you just you migrate onto a topic and you might follow some rabbit holes down through to get there but 
I mean, I, I think when we when we sat down to build this, we wanted it to be a sit down, talk about mostly watches and invite some other folks to to join in. Right. Yeah, I think that's right. So uh, let us know if you've got if you've got thoughts on that. I'd be happy to hear them. Uh, uh, genuinely happy to hear them. I'd love to hear your, your feedback on that. It is is some sort of hey, watch talk starts at 15, 10 or whatever. Uh, is that something that would be useful to you guys so you could skip by us talking about Game of Thrones or whatever? Uh, let us know. Well, then you'd miss out on things like uh, Nashville Hot Chicken, though. Just... You would miss out on that, which we're going to continue to talk about. Yeah. We... Especially when you get off keto. They're coming back soon. Buck Buck's going to be back. I hope so. They're going to be back. So, watch news. Yes. Both Orient news-related items. So, Orient, I think I've decided Orient is the new Seiko. I'll... I'm open to it. Okay. <laughs> They're not. They're obviously different in a lot of ways. But I think... Um, in a place where we've talked about Seiko historically, affordable watch people, I think more and more as Seiko continues to push its products up market uh, or, or down market, uh, I, I think a company like Orient, which is still doing high spec items at that lower price range, that 100, 150, 200 price range. I think Orient's going to slide into that place, you, you know, and we've talked about this a number of times. I've written about this. Um, everybody in the watch industry has talked about the SKX or the Mako. And, you, you know, as of now-ish, the SKX is dead. It's now just the Mako. It's now Mako or Deep Mako. Blue? Y- yeah, you know, I love you. I know you love the Deep Blue. Uh, I don't know if I love it. I'm open to it. And, and without I- ever having put my hands on one, I'm going to remain open. And I'm less so for, for, for I, I think, a bunch of reasons that, that you probably don't need to be too creative to, uh, to, to understand those reasons. But, you, you know, Deep Blue obviously has their NATO diver, which is at very best an SKX homage um, in, in the most yeah. flattering. <laughs> that would be the most flattering uh, words. You know, people like it. It's high respect. It's got a better movement. It's got uh, Sapphire. It's a little bigger, which I think is a downgrade. Um, but y- yeah, you, you know, barring companies like Deep Blue or, or or any number of smaller companies, when you talk about that sort of super accessible, entry level professional dive watch, it's the Mako. Yeah, or the Ray, or in that family. Sure, sure. And I and I put when I say Mako, I mean I mean Mako Ray. Um, and and Orient itself has got a new watch, a new dive watch to to add to that conversation. Yeah. And I think that the price, price-wise, uh, it's right, right there, two fifty. I think is what I saw. So the Orion introduced its new diver recently, uh, and I think they've been beta testing some different stuff in the market. Some stuff has shown up recently, but they've officially unveiled the Orient Kano, yep, or perhaps Kano, like named after Robbie. The... Hard to say. <laughs> Um, I think it's probably the Orient Kano. You 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 made a comment, and, and I think this is going to be the biggest uh, point of contention. But it, it's bigger. It's forty four millimeters. Why? Why? With with the way watches are trending towards smaller, why? Why didn't they just upgrade the Mako? Update, upgrade, rename. I don't understand why they why they dropped a bigger dive watch. Because yeah. I would like to buy more Orient watches. You, you know, it's it's odd to me, too. It, it seems like uh, they are eschewing kind of us in the same way that maybe Seiko is, which is to say they are they're trying to make a 
universally likable dive watch with the assumption false or not um that 44 is is a the good the perfect size for a dive watch i, I think you, you and i would say differently uh I, I think most watch nerds would say differently i even think that perhaps the market in general is trending smaller you, you know i've really fallen in love with a number of 40 millimeter dive watches mm-hmm. recently and i would say that's 40 millimeter is the perfect size for for a dive watch um so so they've gone in the other direction they've gone from you know that 42 ish you said 41 and a half i think 41 and a half is what the mako is so they've gone from that to now this sort of uh big watch it, it, it looks to me like it's got fairly refined uh edges to it it's maybe a little long um it's what i would expect out of orient yeah yeah a really too. elegant tool watch what do you think about the perhaps more generic bezel <sighs> no notched bezel that orient's sort of known for i i'm torn this this release to me seems a little bit like a like they're testing out the waters for a potentially larger release of watches because it doesn't, even though it has the Orient DNA, it doesn't, it doesn't scream Orient to me. Yeah, so I've just pulled it up. It's a 22 millimeter kind of strap monster watch, uh, new handset that I really like. Um, but but I I do think generic would not be an unfair description. It it feels a little generic. I do like the red toned bezel insert i saw a picture of it on uh brown leather it looked good it did look good um but it's uh, i don't know i don't know how to feel about it i'm excited to see orient unrolling new lines Mm -hmm. i'm not particularly excited about this edition yeah no i i think i'm i think i'm the same um 13 millimeter case, you, you know, I, we pulled up a Warren and Wend article and they say, you know, first paragraph or second paragraph. And they say, this is good at 44, but 4042 would have been better. Um, you, you know, we've got a screw down crown. We've got sort of orient, you, you know, DNA in the case sides, um, the top brushing, 120 click. I, I mean, there's nothing really notable about it, which is not bad. Uh, having a a very generic i'm gonna say looking dive watch is not a bad thing and i don't think it should be a bad thing no you don't have to revolutionize the industry with every release i think if this is 41 millimeters we'd be like yes or 40 yeah or drop or or go crazy and drop like a 38 39 dive watch i mean orient does weird sizes anyway why not drop a 39 and 19 dive watch and this is going to come in at theoretically under the price of the Mako. So two thirty five on silicone and two fifty five on steel. The steel bracelet looks shitty. Uh, it looks like a fused three link. Um, so pro- probably nothing special there. Uh, Forty hours. It's got that F sixty nine twenty two, which is Orient's sort of their, their workhorse. Their yeah. workhorse. You know their newish workhorse hacking handwriting auto. Uh, I think it's a great. I think it's a great option. It's not special in the way something like the, the Mako or the SKX even is. So time will tell. Yeah, I think I think this will do well. I it's just I want something different. I I want something like a smaller Bambino 
Yeah, why wouldn't they just come out with a smaller Bambino and make us all happy? Oh, but like wait. a thirty-six and a half millimeter Bambino would be sweet. Almost like they read our minds. They are doing that too. That's the real exciting Orient news. Because we can't cover one without, even though we could cover one without the other. We might as well cover both, because we both like Orient. We'd cover the other one. Uh, but We'd cover the Bambino if we, had to, if we had to pick one. This Bambino, when you sent me a text about it, I hadn't seen the release yet. And I, I was almost mad with myself for having already owned one. Then I was like, oh, it's a wholly different watch. I can get a wholly different watch. 36 and a half, Bambino. And it's here. Because my only complaint about the Bambino is that it's just a touch too big to be a dress watch. Too big. It it works. I, I wear it, but it's bigger than I'd like. You, you know, I think I sent this to you on the day of or the day before or perhaps the day after we released the dress watches episode where we said, you know, where I said. Yeah, it was the day after. The perfect dress watch doesn't exist. What I want doesn't exist. Well, oh, it does. Here it is. Here it and is. for coming in under $200. Well, this this is more than that. So no, I think these the RRP on these is three fifty ish. I I bet it's going to come down. It, I, I, I think so. We'll too. be able to pick these up inside of a year for under two hundred dollars. Yeah, um, three twenty four, three fifty two. So there's a there's a stainless steel an all stainless steel version. These both come on bracelets, which is which is different for the Bambino. The Bambinos don't often come on bracelets. Um, so three twenty four for the stainless version. They've also got a tune told two tone rose gold version with rose gold crown and a rose gold stripe on the on the bracelet 352 for that so still super reasonable pass yeah well i kind of like it i'm not sure i'm a hard pass uh you you know there's something about plated gold plated that turns me off um but you you know like a hundred meter dive watch it's the same it's the same feeling i get You, you know it looks beautiful it's aesthetically fine the gold plating technology is good enough that it's gonna stay beautiful for a long time but I was all on it. I don't like rose gold. I don't. I don't care that it's the thing right now. Oh, okay. I don't like it. Yeah. Well, uh, there's an option for you if you like it. There's an option for you if you don't. Um, of course, this does have a stupid um, strap width. I think 17 millimeters is what we decided on the strap width. Uh, yeah, based off of your photo uh, forensic analysis. Oh, that's right. We didn't actually find a detail. I got a ruler out and did some algebra for the first time in 20 years. Yeah. I remember this now. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think we said maybe it was 16. 16. I think I think perhaps 17. It, it's hard to tell. You, you know, looking at pictures and proportions and wrists and it, it's a little bit tough to figure out. My, my guess is 17. If it's 18, that's better. Oh, 18 would be perfect. Uh, but at 36 millimeters, I'm just looking at the proportions. I doubt it's that big. Um, 18 would be would be great on, on this. Just guy. think of all the 18 millimeter straps you already have, because yeah. I would I would likely take it off the bracelet immediately and put it on leather. Yeah. And, and the difference between 17 and 18 is such that you can normally squeeze. Um, I, I don't particularly like the aesthetic of that. I've done that a few times, squeezed a millimeter one way or the other. It creates a lumpiness or you, you can tell you're squeezing unless it's a sort of well-worn leather. And then sometimes it just pops right in. And just, um, but yeah, this is great, man. I'm so excited for this. This is great. What a perfect watch. Uh, you, you know, I, I suspect this will be my first Orient because uh, I have, there's been a bunch of Orients that have been close and just not quite perfect. You know, by and large, they're too big for what I want. You, you know, mm-hmm. I want that watch two millimeters smaller. I want a Defender two millimeters smaller. I want a Sun and Moon two millimeters yeah. smaller. Um, so and not at the 43 that we talked about 
in dress watches because you want to be able to wear it every day and not as a only dress watch. Right. That's right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I haven't seen really any of these in the wild. Well, certainly not in the wild. I haven't even really seen them make the review rounds yet. Um, except for these worn and wound articles, these are sort of still vaporware as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but I, I imagine they'll start making the rounds and we'll get a chance to see what people have to say about it. I love the understated, I love the understated looks of that stainless version. It's got those sort of black hands, really simple markers. Everything is just simple and easy. Uh, you still get a date, which it's very Japanese, right? And a nice big crown. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I think it's probably the same size crown as on the on your makeup. Yeah. A big flat, or on the Bambino, just a big flat yeah, crown. Yeah, Bambino. I, I really like these. I, I think they could have done a lot worse with these. And, and I love the fact that they're going to come on bracelets. You, you, you know, I, I think you put these on a pebble grain or a, you, you know a nice calf strap or or something like that it's going to dress it up but you have the ability to sort of date just style rock it on a on this oem bracelet which i i love so sport watch that has the ability to to dress up to a true dress watch yeah love it i'm wondering i'm wondering uh how how tall that domed crystal is going to be because the dome on the bambino is on the one that I have is is significant. It, it looks uh, like it's basically the same. I, I bet the crystal dimensions are the same, and it is a mineral crystal. Uh, you, you know, even with that higher price, they have not found it uh, in their budget to upgrade to sapphire. So, you know, that's maybe not a great a great thing. But and I don't see anything about the dimensions of the crystal. That crystal to me looks exactly the same. You can see the sun catching mm-hmm. it right here. It, I bet it's. I'm I excited it's about it. The same. If there was a line, I would be standing in it. Yeah, <laughs> they they've done they've knocked this one out of the park as far as I'm concerned. Those coffin, you know, real sort of subtle coffin markers. Uh, yeah, home run. Well done, Orient. Well done. Keep keep releasing things just a little bit smaller than you have been. Do you think they listen to Forty and Twenty? I hope not. <laughs> All right. All right, so we're talking today a fun topic. I feel like we've talked about this topic. We have talked about it a little bit, but the last two times we've touched on it. We've said, you know what? We're going to dedicate a whole episode to this topic being watches that have been to space. Any of these space watches. And what what I found most intriguing about this was that there are the there was two varieties. There was the issued to the astronaut or cosmonaut or whatever you want to call them. That was the authorized official timekeeper. And then there's a slightly smaller list of watches that they brung anyway. And bootleg, I think, bootleg space watches. Uh, no, I think that... <clears throat> yeah, I can get behind bootleg. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just thinking about it. I can get behind bootleg space watches. And those that list is just as cool. Maybe cooler. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it comes down to just, just like any other government agency where they give you something that works. But if you want something that works really well... You're probably going to have to buy it on your own. This is the guy from 82nd Airborne who's got his his personally owned Glock 9 and is tucked away in his bag. You know, <laughs> it's the same oh, thing, right? That's not me. Just so we're being clear. Um, <laughs> no, not you. Yeah. I'm just saying this. You know, you know that everybody knows that guy. He's like, oh yeah, I brought my I brought my Glock 24 to Afghanistan just so I could have something that I could rely on. You're like, 
That's ridiculous. <laughs> you're going to no. get court-martialed. Yeah, you're going to jail. <laughs> Have fun there. But, I mean, plenty. The, most aftermarket purchases that you buy, you know, within the confines of, we'll, we'll stick with a military organization. Everything the Army has ever issued me has worked pretty well. The stuff that I've bought on my own has worked really well. Mm-hmm. And this is maybe not exactly the same because NASA's is, NASA is issuing their astronauts Speedmasters. But... There's still that sentimental touch of I want to bring what I like, what I'm comfortable with, um, and that's that's what I saw a lot of. In, you know, reading through space watches, reading through a couple of Dave Scott interviews, I get the feeling, and I don't know that he ever says this, and maybe he did, um, but I, I get the feeling that that some of these guys, um, you, you know, maybe Dave Scott or who is the uh, who who is the other one. Well, uh, you, you know that some of these guys were perhaps taking taking side money. They, they were side hustles for R and D. I mean, there was a whole issue with one of the Apollo missions that they brought a bunch of stamps up to space with them, right? And signed them, <laughs> right? And then uh, sold them. Yeah, I forget which which crew it was, but yeah, there was a there was a bit of a scandal if you will associate it with that these side hustles so you, you know these guys are young guys some of them are civilians some of them are military guys but none of them are ever going to make a bunch of money doing what they're doing unless you sell a bunch of stamps unless that you, you took to the moon uh, unless you take these side and and they were all getting all the all the girls all the attention you, you know private dinners you come talk at our function um and, and so it just makes sense that that was going on um and you know, I think it's probably increased some of these this legacy, and maybe you, you know we'll get there. But this Dave Scott watch that everybody thought was a Waltham for forever that turned out to actually be the Bolivar Moon Watch or, or Lunar Lander uh, predecessor. You, you, you know, for years everybody thought it was a, a Waltham. You know, you know which Waltham was it? And people are having conversations, and there's multiple Waltham space watches. Well. Turns out it was a boulevard. You know, I wonder how much some of this was sort of shaped by the fact that this was, everybody was hustling. Kind of under the table, little gray area. Right. Yeah. So the, so I guess just get to it. First watch in space, Yuri Gagarin, 12th April, 1961. We think. We, we think. That's right. A Stramansky. A simple three-hander sort of type A Flieger field watch hybrid. Yeah. Almost certainly what this watch was. Never designed for space travel. Right. Just on his wrist. You, you know, and, and when you say never designed for space travel, I think probably not specifically designed for space travel, but but certainly with an eye to the types of conditions that you might experience in space. Yeah, an in, in in aviator's watch, which, you know, you're getting some of the, uh, some of the temperature variance, some of the pressure changes, definitely some... G-forces uh, shock. Yeah, some some unpleasantries if you will mm-hmm. associated with it um, but still not there i mean never having been to space before there was no way to plan for or do any kind of development for uh mechanics that would work in space and so now i think this so we've pulled up the sort of reissue of the stramansky gagarin this is a watch that's pretty hard to get i don't think you can get a new anymore yeah, at um, least from what i could find i did a pretty cursory search um and and we did together uh they were hard to find hard to price and i think if you if you do buy one you're going to start running into the franken watch issues that you run into with other soviet 
watches you think even on a watch this new i mean these were for sale not too long ago i i bet you can find these in basically i think though if, if you're looking towards a, a more pure i mean the the new new mm-hmm. out of box stramanskis yeah but if the you start issues, looking yeah. at at some of the watches that were produced in that era you're going to get more franken watches than not I yeah imagine. i bet i bet you're right because it's, it's using the 2609 movement so fucking everything is using a 2609 movement sure um yeah this is I mean, you could get a Franken watch as a novelty, but to find a, a true to form original piece outside of the reissue, I, that'd be a hunt. And so these are tiny, you know, thirty three millimeters, and I'm not sure on the on the reissue. I think the reissue, the reissue is, is forty and twenty. Forty, so yeah. uh, a, a more modern size. Um, the original, the original is probably thirty three millimeters, mm-hmm. uh, like thirty three and fifteen, which is tiny, yeah, teeny tiny watch. So um you, you know you know maybe a candidate for something like a bun strap or whatever although i would never wear a watch on a bun strap i think that's the type of watch you're looking at um you, you know and there's some question marks still about whether or not this would have been the watch so this to just physically describe it we'll put a link in the show notes this is a um you, you know white face perhaps or or maybe a loomed face field watch pilot hybrid you know these sort of prominent uh, art deco i'm gonna call them art deco numerals uh, a, a big sort of soviet star with wings at the six o'clock because how do you go to space without a soviet star with wings right and uh, cyrillic stramansky up, up at the top up at the 12 o'clock so great balance um a pretty sexy watch but just a truly soviet watch yeah that's i mean that's this is it. You've seen one. You've seen them all for the most part. <laughs> I uh, think it's a little unfair, but I, 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 I know your point. I, they all have that same feel. Yeah. yeah. Um, but just a cool watch and, and really, you know, doesn't get this and, and rightfully so doesn't get the same attention as the as the Speedmaster or even the Bulova Moon watch uh, because it is a, a Soviet watch out of the first Moscow watch factory, um, which which at the time wasn't real. I mean, you couldn't buy this watch. Uh, you you couldn't as a as a citizen of Russia or anywhere else in the world buy this watch. This was just a military issue watch, which mm-hmm. I think creates some of the controversy. Right. Um, and the modern reissue is cool. It has a titanium case, but yeah, this is this is a cool watch. This is the one that that started that started space travel for watches. So just to sort of briefly run down some of the controversy here, because there's some people who say this was not the first watch in space. Rodina certainly Rodina and and um some auction some watch seller folks have sort of conspired to say this wasn't it it couldn't have been it and and the best evidence i could find that this wasn't it was they stopped issuing this watch to new cadets four years before yuri gagarin went to the space academy or to the flight academy in russia so he they certainly were not issuing this watch to people now does that mean he didn't get one um you, you know if you're coming in and the upperclassmen all have this watch maybe you try to get it or maybe um, it was a gift i mean there's there's so many things i mean so if, many if we go a little bit further the uh the watch that um oh shoot i didn't write down his name a breitling nav timer modified to 24 hours was was there and if if suddenly a, a breitling because the watch is missing a breitling mm-hmm. nav timer from the 1960s shows up with a 24-hour uh change 
people are going to say, oh, they didn't even make that then. Right. Well, they made one. Right. <laughs> so so hard to say. Also, Rodina has sort of showed up and said, hey, this is actually the watch. Um, and and they actually auctioned one off for, you know, I think maybe 25000 or so dollars a few years ago and said. American? This is the Gagarin watch, a Rodina. Um, and, and so I think there's some controversy and, and maybe it's good controversy you know uh gets people talking but by and large most people accept this is probably some iteration of this is the first space watch and i'll accept it because it's all part of this storied tradition it's all none of these watches have actually been in space yeah you're not going to wear on your watch a speedmaster it's been in space or a moon watch it's been in space or pogue or any of these watches that have that their counterparts have been in space it's just part of the storied tradition of, of human space flight sure so, uh, should we just get it out of the way? Modern space watches. Today's actual space watch isn't even the Speedmaster. It, well, yeah, well, it's that's a, right. it's a it is variant a of the Speedmaster, yeah. but it's not the one that everyone wears. Oh, I'm wearing a moon watch. No, you're not. The X33 is a, is the the current iteration of space watch for NASA. And I think that there, I think NASA still certifies the Speedmaster Pro. And there are two iterations of the 33, the most current 33, and then the Speedmaster Professional 33, which came out in 98 and was in its place, which is a very similar watch. But this is a, what, a mechanical digital hybrid? It's an interesting thing. It, it looks to me like Omega's version of a, of a ProTrek. Yeah, or, or perhaps the, the Breitling Aerospace. You know, it does a similar mm-hmm. thing. Titanium, Anadigi. Uh, the, the Omegas are partially mechanical. I think the, the chronograph in there is a mechanical chronograph or, or perhaps the three hands are, are uh, actually mechanical. So with an LCD display with an LCD display. So, so they've done some interesting things with it. It's a very cool watch. They're not terribly expensive. Um, you, you can get them for um, reasonable money, not stupid money. Are we talking like North or South of, a, of two. It, it, well, North of two. Yeah. I, I mean, so you can get a used 1998 Speedmaster x33 for about 2500 to 3000 is what i was finding them in uh not that there's a ton of them available because they're just not that popular of a watch but i'd be more inclined to buy that than the uh traditional analog yeah perhaps or even a breitling aerospace if i have the choice between that x33 and an aerospace i might really seriously look at a used uh a used x33 uh, it's not a watch that had been on my radar before today nothing trumps the digital aerospace to me nothing yeah. okay all right. Well, now we know Andrew's got opinions. Yeah, but the X thirty three is cool shit. That's if we had, if I had seen that watch when we were talking about Omega, that would have been on my list because that's a cool watch, and and it's not just cool because it looks good. It's cool because of all the technology that's gone into it. Yeah, um, that's right. And yeah, I I dig it. You know what else I found interesting about this is that it's not just the Americans whose official watch is the Omega Speedmaster and Speedmaster X33. There's another country who also has that as their official watch. Is it uh, Russia? It's Russia. Yeah. How funny is that? So, you, you know, here we are 60 years later, and both of these companies have now come over. Yep. Or these companies, you know, both of these countries are now on the same page, you know, although they're, the tension between those drove arguably not just the space watch industry, but the entire watch industry, these innovations between Russia and America um, and and their demands have done so much. You, you know, the 3133, 
came out of this war, um, you, you know, advancements in Bolivar technology, American watch technology, mm-hmm. advancements in the Swiss industry have come out of this thing. Certainly the Russian aspects of it leak into the Far East. You know, the space race shaped in so many ways our chronograph development. Germany, you, you, you know, Sin uh, or Zin. Zin? Huh? Zin? I... I mean, it's spelled sin, but it's it's zin. Yeah, zin. I believe so. Yeah, I believe. I'm probably still gonna say sin sometimes. So, whatever. I'm gonna say sin. <laughs> really, really, really run out that double n. Mm. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So you know, now officially, both the United States and Russia, probably the two most prominent players in the current space industry, um, both playing with omegas. Although the Russia's Russians now also using that Fortis B forty two. Right, and there's another company, uh, R O R O I or R O one. Yeah, R O one, R O something like that. Uh, another another company providing some watches. And speaking of Seiko, they're developing a Grand Seiko, a spring drive movement for Citizen, not Citizen the company, but like normal people, a commercial space flight. That's right. Yeah, yeah. developing or have developed. It, I didn't look for finished products mm-hmm. uh, and, and pricing for it because that would make me very sad. The Space Lab? Is that... Space Walk? I think it may... Sp- okay. I forgot the name of it. I didn't write it down because it, it <laughs> I just... I didn't write it down either. I was like... It oh, just cool. came to mind. Whatever. Um, but yeah, every, there There's... I, I think we're on the cusp of another space revolution. Yeah, it could be. Um, that, that lunar lander just crashed into the moon. Uh, SpaceX just landed their, uh, their first stage uh, rockets. Like, yeah, SpaceX is on. SpaceX is is right on the precipice of having commercial space flight in hand. It's almost there. So anyway, we'll get back onto watches. Uh, you know the second watch that was in space. Let's see, Hoyer. Oh stopwatch. yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, Beans. Who who's Hoyer stopwatch? What that was? It? Uh, it was no, not Bean. Um, shoot, I should have wrote down his name. I just I wrote down a list of watches. Uh, it flew on in nineteen sixty two. In the uh, first orbital mission, uh, a Hoyer stopwatch, and it was enormous, strapped to his wrist. Strapped to his wrist, um, yeah, with Brazon, right? Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> uh, next, we're going to go into, we've already talked a little bit about it, but the the modified Breitling nav timer um, was used uh, by Scott Carpenter because he flew, he's a military pilot, flew in a nav timer, uh, but wanted a 24-hour nav timer available because of the lack of day and night um differences that are going to come with space so bright he worked with brightling to develop the first 24-hour nav timer that was available and they made one for him and he took that to space um which made it the first watch that was developed in conjunction with astronaut input which is really freaking cool and and, you know it's just a neat watch right i I mean just the idea of it the idea of having that sort of pull right you know hey brightling hey guys I'm, I, I'm doing this thing. Can you help me out? I can barely get a restaurant to custom customize a burger <laughs> for me. <laughs> Never mind an enormous company, R and D a, a product. Little known fact: Scott Carpenter, uh, long lost sibling of of Richard and Karen Carpenter. Yeah, huh? Yeah, I think couldn't, maybe couldn't be anything else. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, just crazy to have that kind of pull to be able to say, I, I want to do this thing. How, can you guys help me out? You, you know, and then to get it made, and then get to wear it. 
And then to lose it. Yeah, and to lose it. So after his uh, errant reentry, where he got a little bit wet, that Brightling got sent in for repairs and is now MIA. So if anybody comes across an old-looking Brightling nav timer with a 24-hour dial, um, you're sitting on a gold mine. So send it to us. We'll we'll validate its authenticity. Um, and then I'll keep it. We'll just own it. Yeah. We'll make a part of the 40 and 20 museum. So it'll be out on loan. Yeah. Semi-permanent loan. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I, I, I've always wondered about this. Art museums, especially, you know, we've got a local art museum at the university called the George Schnitzer Museum. George Schnitzer is this sort of well-known philanthropist. But I always wondered, how do they get their, how do they get their stuff? Because they have phenomenal stuff from time to time. I found out if you purchase a piece of art, you can donate it to a museum for, I think it's three months and get, or it might even be less than that. No, I think it's three months, but you can give it on loan to a public art institution and get a huge, a, a huge tax saving. I think perhaps the money becomes tax deductible. I always wondered that too. And now that makes perfect sense. It does. It makes sense. Uh, Cause half, half of big exhibits you see on loan from on loan from someone. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, a, I wondered why you would buy a arguably priceless piece of work um, and then loan it out. Um, and then two, why, why you would buy it in the first place. How do we get here? Oh yeah. If you find the missing uh, <laughs> Scott Carpenter, Brightling. We'll start a 501c3. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um yeah what what was i uh so so what's next here we'll start moving into watches we've talked about the uh the polyot poljot polyot i've heard it both ways i'm pretty i'm sure polyot is probably the more accurate of the two uh the strella uh you have the omega speedmaster the bulova 96 b251 later known as the lunar lander or moon watch um and the history behind that one's kind of cool right with this that waltham yeah the the other the other uh, potentially MIA, but then not MIA, unknown, unauthorized, brought along for the ride, Moonwatch. Uh, and then after this is when we start getting into a wealth of watches that have been brought to space. Some of them a little surprising, actually. First surprising one to me, the Seiko Pogue. Seiko Pogue, yeah. Seiko Pogue. We talked about the Seiko Pogue last week a little bit. Which is the Pogue, named after the astronaut that took it to space. Right. Because Which is was... such a great name for a, for a military colonel. Right. Pogue. Right. <laughs> for those of you unfamiliar, Pogue is a uh, slanderous term. It's a pejorative. Yeah. For folks who aren't warfighters. Like me. And me. I'm a Pogue. I, and I'm, a, I'm also a Pogue. I mean, you've actually... You've actually done combat things on combat missions. Yeah, but still pogey. Pogey. Pogish. Yeah. yeah. I'm just straight pogue. You know. <laughs> primary <laughs> primary duty as is as a pogue. Secondary can, you know, you can get some other things going. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, it's the uh the sixty one thirty nine dash six zero zero two, which went to space in nineteen seventy three. And again Surreptitiously. Again a uh brought along for the ride not the authorized watch but he he chose to wear it and, and and so we talked a little bit last week about uh color combinations you know your your experience was that the blue uh was was in your consciousness and and i think you know just looking at these things the the blue and the gold are the most prominent but we can confirm that 
Um, Colonel Pogue did take a gold dial poke sure to space. And those are sexy. I've, we've we've been able to see one in person, and yeah, they're good. Y- yeah, or a good friend of ours, a uh, friend of the show, even has a a blue dialed poke, and it's just fantastic. And we owe him a visit soon, Xander. Should he be listening? Shoot us a text. We'll do it this week. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe we've already met when you hear this. Oh, maybe <laughs> not you though, Xander. <laughs> um. Yeah. Uh. Super cool watch too. You, you know, mechanical. Um. And- shockingly affordable yeah you can get these things for under a bill all day um i I do think you have to be a little careful with them uh i I think these things get franken pretty frequently so which would make sense but as long as you're deliberate in your search you can you can get one for under a bill and probably in the next two weeks yeah that's probably right and and, you know there are opportunities to pay a little bit more a bill being 100 money Oh, oh no, a thousand. I mean, these things are seven fifty to a thousand. You can get one for good conditions. Well, I mean, if you're if you're looking perfect condition, yeah. Um, but I'm thinking under a hundred bucks, you can. I mean, I think Xander got his for twenty five bucks, fifty bucks, isn't he? Well, I think he got that on coming up on some loot. I, I'm not sure that. Well, I, I'll, I'll tell you, it. I don't think I I've seen these for under a hundred, but if you can find them, that's a great deal. I think you can. I I mean, when I was in your, and I'm not talking about pristine condition. I'm talking about a worn vintage watch. You're certainly going to be able to get into most of them for under three hundred, and I think if you're if you're, I've I was looking today. Okay, well we'll get some. We'll get some, and and not everyone, but you're going to be able to find them. You're you're definitely going to be able to get into them for under a thousand. For All sure. of them, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and and you know, piece of history, real history, and just a cool freaking watch too. I mean, all of us affordable guys love love Seiko. We love Seiko military. We love um you, you know these these watches that are what the fuck is that i don't know we just listened to my beer i could hear a strange rhythmic um it sounds like a watch ticking yeah a rhythmic ticking i'm wearing a digital watch today <laughs> which meant that it wasn't my watch and i i looked to my beer and the sound increased and there is a strange kind of tick tick what is that it is just a uniform dispersion of the CO2 in there. Um, it's a very strange sound. Sorry for the distraction, but... You heard it here first. Like we said like we said earlier, this is just about sitting down and drinking beer, talking mostly about watches. And right now we're going to talk about this. We're drinking some standbys. I'm drinking Bush Light. Andrew's drinking 10 Barrel Lemon Sour Crush. We're n- nothing new here. We're not every, bringing anything new. Every half second is the louder, <laughs> the louder dispersion. It's interesting. If you any any physics out there, uh, physicists out there, let us know. Or what's chemists, happening. I don't even know what's happening. Yeah, hard to say. I'll drink it faster to stop the distraction. <laughs> uh, yeah, what were we talking about? The Pogue. Yeah, we can move on though. Yeah, yeah, you know, I I would like to talk about the Sin One Forty slash One Forty Two. Let's bit. do it. This is a beautiful watch, and I think we can. Zin, Zin. I'm sorry for all you perfectionists out there the zen 140 you're not going to be able to get into this for under a grand no oh no or under two yeah i think used you know we pulled one up on chrono 24 this is just a silver blasted um 5100 2800 bucks and i think that seems about right um this doesn't look like it's in perfect condition but certainly it's in good condition with the og bracelet on it it's got some scratches um oh one big one yeah that's that's a watermark no (laughs) <laughs> on, on this on the picture that's gnarly um you, you you know this is got that same sort of tonneau case chronograph that 
I sort of attribute to the Porsche Orfina. Um, very similar looking watch to that Orfina or, or say the Dan Henry 1972. Real similar thing going on. The, the sort of hooded or, or almost integrated lug scheme. Uh, similar bracelets. This this is going to fit the same part in your collection as an Orfina or a 1970, a Porsche Orfina, that 1972, or a Dan Henry 1972, but very cool. And it's a space watch. It, and it's a space watch. It's a space watch. So Reinhard Fuhrer, Fuhrer, I assume that's how you say that. I think so. Although I feel a little bad saying Fuhrer. Yeah, I don't know how else you'd say it, though. <laughs> he wore a 140S, a PVD 140S, on the Challenger mission. The so, last successful Challenger That's mission. right. 1985, he wore his on a, on a Challenger mission and um, sort of, I guess, cemented this watch's place in space history. Yeah. Um, there's a few others. Uh, the Rolex GMT Master has made it. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1965. No, no. 1975. Apollo 13, Jack Swagger. Mm-hmm. And a couple other astronauts have, uh, have been cited with it. Uh Italian astronaut Paolo Nespoli rocks a T-Touch in addition to two other watches because he's tracking uh, space station time, Italian time, Italian time, Italian time? Italian? Yeah, <laughs> Italian time and U.S. time. So he, uh, in an interview that I, I uh, read with him, he, he wears three watches frequently. Among them is the T-Touch. Um, and the Fita? 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 F-I-Y-T-A? Um has a whole line of watches uh, that are given to Chinese astronauts, mm-hmm. uh, most notably the Space Master. Um, Which is a 54-millimeter watch in its and... original configuration. Yeah. And they've made this available to the public for at 45 millimeters, which is a much more wearable watch size. Yeah, and if you're going to wear a space watch, I, I think you might as well wear big. Y- yeah, if you're, yeah, I guess that's, that's reasonable. Yeah. Still not going to get me into a lunar lander or a moon watch putting it on was just disappointing <laughs> it's so big it, the, the bulva obviously we're talking about now it crushed me i was i was ready to buy that watch yeah no i might still get one you know maybe like five six watches down the road when i'm okay having a watch that i don't wear that's your big watch yeah this is my big, I already watch. Have a big watch i've got the the citizen aviator that's right yeah and it's hard to replace you know, a sub $100 watch with a, I mean, it's a, a sub $300 watch, I think, but it's not exactly a replacement. Right. Yeah. You, you, you know, I think it, that watch is helped by its narrow lug width and it's sort of workable uh, lug to lug. But yeah, it's a, it's a biggie. Anyway. Anyway. A whole cool journey with authorized and contraband watches on their way to space well can we can before before we move on are you moving on here no no no. i'm just i'm i'm recounting a little bit of of why i wanted to do this topic because as if you guys haven't figured out space flight's pretty cool and i love it i'm still a child at heart when it comes to the space age and space flight um so doing this was was purely a function of learning a little bit more about watches as they pertain to space and uh Looking more about space, you, you know, um, it, it's such a it, it's such a romantic thing. You know, you you even just even just bring it up now. You talk about I'm still a child. You, you know, there's something about space flight that's like dinosaurs, which you, I'm also obsessed you know, with. It connects to this 
uh, adolescent part of our brains um, where, you, you know, possibility or um, the unimaginable in IRL uh, sort of <laughs> comes to the forefront, you, you know, <clears throat> and, and space does that to us, you know, you know wearing a wearing a Omega Speedmaster Pro or, you know, one, one of these watches is not going to take you any closer to that, in fact. But there's something about having this thing that's designed to perhaps um, give you that capability should the opportunity arise. I mean, wearing Jordans doesn't make you a better basketball player. That's right. Man, that's it's right. The same the same effect. And I, I think, to me, a Speedmaster is less of a of a space watch than most of these others. Yeah. Because most of these others are pretty specifically, like, even though they're cool, the only, like, the pinnacle is the fact that they have been used or worn in space. Speedmaster's got a whole other resume to support its, sure. its uh, time on your wrist. Sure. You, you know, uh, just to talk about one more space watch that uh, doesn't get a lot of play on the space watch conversation, but... Um, is certainly as much of a space watch as many of these, if not more so. Um, and, and it's a watch that I'm guessing 30% of our listeners have in their cabinet right now. If oh, not on dig their it wrist. out. Fucking G-Shock. Yep. G-Shock. So G-Shocks have historically been certified by NASA. They're, you know, and if you think about it, it makes sense. They're shock resistant, they're temp resistant, they're waterproof. Um, they do all the things and certainly nasa has noticed by certifying some five or six different models of g-shock so just to run through the 5600s oh you know i think the c and the e and the f and the q uh 5600s have all been certified for spaceflight. the 5900 which is one that you don't hear people talk about very often but it's this kind of hybrid square round case uh the 6900 the 9000 mudman uh, are all watches that have been worn in training for space and, and most of them in actual space. And how many people listening to the show have one of those five watches? I think probably more than 30%. Yeah, I mean, I would say 30% is a conservative estimate. Yeah. So, um, you know, feel safe the next time you drop your DW5600 on your wrist for the day that you're wearing a space watch. Yeah. Because you are, in fact, doing just that. And you're welcome. <laughs> Uh, also a Timex Iron Man. Uh, That's also not surprising to me. The data link, only one version. So I think people sometimes say, oh, the Iron Man's triathlons are, are space certified. Only one of them was ever certified. And, and it's that, that certification has since been rescinded. But the Timex Iron Man data link, which is an outdated watch that did some things with linking data that I don't really know what it was. Ah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but this is a, you know, sort of... Uh, late 80s early 90s iron man triathlon data linker watch cool (laughs) (laughs) some people might have that probably not that's that's probably a watch that ends up in the trash when the battery dies so you you know um i think that basically wraps up the space conversation i i'll I'll, I'll sort of tie it up for now with getting back to your point about jordan's uh this doesn't have anything to do with anything. Totally apropos of nothing, except for the fact that you brought up Michael Jordan the other day. Uh, I was Today, in, I brought up Michael Jordan just now. The other minute is what I meant. Uh, so I'm I'm in my car. Kids and I and Kim, the family, we did a date night on Friday. We went to Outback Steakhouse, eating good in the neighborhood. They have a lot. No, I think that's Applebee's. Uh, they have a lot of keto options there. They do, they do, which is why we went there. 
um, went to Outback, and then went to see Shazam, which is a little too mature for my six-year-old. They had Shazam in the theater? We went to Shazam in the theater, which was fantastic. Really fun movie. Yeah. Um, A little, not scary. Not scary for a grown-up. Not scary for a 10-year-old. But for a six- and seven-year-old, it was a touch scary. There's parts of it where I looked I looked down at Betty. Are we talking about a remake? Is there a remake of Shazam? Or are we talking about the, the original with Shaquille O'Neal? Oh, no. It, it, is, not, it is not the Shaquille O'Neal Shazam. Oh. It is a remake well, of Shazam. That's Shazam, right? That came out last Friday. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I did not realize that a new one had come out. But I'm talking about the right movie. Like, Shazam was Shaquille O'Neal, wasn't it? it I, I think that might have happened. I don't remember it clearly, but... But there's a good chance that that's right. We're going to go to the Google. <laughs> so we go and see Shazam and, and uh, driving around that night. And Wes says to me, my, my son, my six-year-old son says, Dad, are, are superheroes real? And I said, well, you, you know, superheroes like Shazam or Superman or Batman are, part, are stories. You, you know, those are stories. But there may be some people that are kind of like superheroes in real life. They're just not superheroes like you see in the comics or the movies. Those are stories. And my daughter, bless her heart. Kazam. Different, but sounds similar. <laughs> my, my daughter says, like Michael Jordan? Yeah. I, I felt this warmth bubble in my gut. It made me so proud. Because this is a girl that wears Jordans frequently. She loves them. She goes and picks Jordans out. I, I'm sure I gave that to her, but she has that. And she was like, like Michael Jordan. She has never, I'm sure, never watched a full game of Michael Jordan. I'm sure she's seen clips that I've showed her. It'd be weird if she'd seen a full game of Michael Jordan. Playing. She has no clue who Michael Jordan really was or is, but she knew. The conversation of are there real superheroes comes up, and she thinks to herself, like Michael Jordan. I think that means I'm doing a good job. I think that means you've, yeah, you're doing it. I'm doing it. I'm doing a good job. You're parenting. And all I could say was, yes, that's a very good example, like Michael Jordan. Now, there are probably people who do good things that are better candidates for that, but I'm perfectly satisfied with that answer. Me too. <laughs> what do you got for other things, man? It's springtime, right? It's it's mid-April at this point. Tulips, man. I've seen them. Tons. And this is the time of year that it starts to get warm and dry enough for longer periods of time that allows me to break out my tools for my shop and start building things. And we were texting, my, my wife's parents are downsizing, they're moving. Uh, so they're downsizing all their stuff. And I got a bunch of tools from her dad. And I texted you last week about it. And I was like, man, I have the itch. And suddenly the itch is getting more and more significant. I just want to build shit right now. Um, so this last weekend, I built uh, some floating shelves for the bathroom at my wife's request. Uh, and I'm looking to take on a bunch of new projects. And I I just always, whenever I finish a project, my, my wife is always like, how do you know how to do that? And my answers are, it's always the same two answers. I don't know. And where my I don't know of knowledge ends, YouTube. I think all too often we we just accept things for what they are. Like, oh, well, it's broken. I guess I'm going to get a new one. Rather than hit the YouTube or just tinker with shit. And, and we're the both. answers are all there. They're all on YouTube. Everything. I've done plumbing work. I've done electrical work. All from YouTube. And sometimes it's taken about 10 times longer than the YouTube video where the guy's like, oh, yeah, it's a five-minute project. It'll take me, you know, four hours. Um, but, man, the, the, the feeling of 
completing that project. And this, this goes back to, you know, better done than perfect. And a lot of the things that we've kind of talked about thematically on this show of just get in and tinker. And I love doing that. And I, I we're going to build some shelves here in your garage soon because whether or not you want them, I want them. I want them. Because uh, <laughs> I, I, I want to bring out my tools and I want to cut some fucking lumber and I want to do some shit. So we got to get on that. But that's my other thing right now is is tinkering with things because the weather is good i can bring out my tools and i can start tinkering and i fucking love that yeah yeah i'm into it man i'm into it you you know we've been talking about if anybody has any advice on um best ways without having every single tool that's ever been made in your garage to flatten four sides of a two by four because here's here's what here's here's the goal i want to be able to get cheap framing lumber two by fours two by sixes but make it boards with sharp corners and uh, so if anybody has... I think a planer is the answer. Yeah. Because I don't have a router, and I have a green light on a planer, and I think a planer is the answer. You, you know, a table I, saw will work. I've I, done it with a table saw. I think we can get inexpensive routers, too. Um, so, But a benchtop planer, I think, is the answer. You run them through both sides on the planer, and then you get a benchtop router, and you run those run it through for the sides. But if anybody thinks that we're being silly about this, this is our plan right now. Either flat cut the sides with the table saw, which seems a little shaky to me you know just use a fence or to use a router and and to make those sides flat if there's a better way or if we're missing a step or if we're not thinking about some dimensional uh variable that's going to affect our 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 task let us know but yeah i think it's doable i think i think i think with a table saw it's doable i think with a planer it's easier but i have a table saw i've ripped lumber with a table saw i think what we run into there is the the imperfections on the uh on the wide sides yeah you have to flip it so the it's easy to rip the rip the edges the narrow sides but the but the wide ones is a little bit harder which is where i think the planer comes into play yeah and i think you can get one for like 150 200 bucks at harbor freight so maybe i just pick one up yeah because you know you don't have to because i plan on it so harbor freight makes great stuff um you run into issues usually with long-term reliability, but for you and me, but you know what though? I've started buying cobalt tools uh-huh. uh, because they're low zone yeah, and they have a lifetime guarantee. And, you, and, and they're not a, usually a ton more expensive than a power or a, they're usually pretty inexpensive central machinery or something. Um, so you, you break it and you bring it in and you get a new one. Yeah. They know it's their, pro- they know you bought it there. So you don't have to bring a receipt. You just bring in your broker thing and they give you a new one. Right. <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's sort of I think been on on both of our minds recently. You've had a little bit more time to to get into that, so fun. And so you made something. Yeah, I I built some floating shelves, and they're not perfect, but better done than perfect. Uh, and for a first iteration, and for a on a whim, I used a two by six that was in my shed, and I had to go buy a dowel to for for the anchor points on it. Um, but for just on a whim and having a a three-year-old assist uh, they turned out pretty good yeah yeah i saw them they looked great in fact i was questioning whether or not you had purchased the the shelves and just installed them but you you did them yourself oh no need for flattery i already like you <laughs> well cool what's what's the next project uh well i got a besides my shelves yeah your shelves uh and i got a, a nail gun and an air compressor Ooh. from my wife's dad and uh i've been looking we've lived in this house just over two years now and uh 
all the molding just needs updated and I've done some drywall replacements. So there's some chunks of my home that don't have molding up because mm-hmm. uh, I haven't had a brad nailer and molding looks so, I don't hammer well. So I mess up the molding when I, when I use a hammer. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to do a whole bunch of molding projects and uh, update and repair molding that I've destroyed with a hammer. Wonderful. Yeah. You, you know, we ha- I had a house in Springfield for about six years. And when we bought it, we redid the floors. First weekend, we, re- we pulled up all the carpets. It had hardwood oak under the carpets. Uh, in fact, when we bought that house, we went and looked at it and it had these terrible carpets throughout it. Except for the bedroom that had hardwood. Um, the sort of master bedroom, if you could call it that. And uh, I was sitting with Kim and we were kind of talking about it at night. And I was like, you know, it's so weird that that one bedroom is oak and everything else is these nasty carpets. Because it's not like it's new oak. That's a guarantee that everything else is hardwood. And she was like, well, you think it's got oak everywhere else? And I was like, shit, man, I don't know. And so I sent my, it was like 1130 at night, I sent our realtor uh a, a text message and said hey i need to get back into that house tomorrow morning and she said well, sure what's up and i said i want to see if there's oak everywhere and sure enough we went in to, next morning at eight o'clock i went into the living room and pulled the heating register off the floor pulled the carpet back and it's got this oak underneath it and so we put an offer in it that morning and we were in the house a week later you know you know a month later realistically um the first thing we did was pull all the carpets redid the floors and when I did that, I pulled up these old, nasty, marred moldings. I never, we owned the house for six years, I never redid them. I never put them back in until we sold it. And that house looked so good when I did that. Uh, and it was so disappointing to me, um, you, you know, to see this house that's just beautiful. I remember walking it through it as we were getting ready to sell it. And I was like, shit, man, I love this. And all I had to do was spend four hours doing this thing you know maybe eight hours i don't know but not a lot of time doing this thing that i've been literally avoiding for six years so disappointing do your damn moldings if you need to do your moldings do them right now yeah do them and if you just bought a house and they cheaply painted over the molding and the walls just update the molding it's not expensive not expensive and not a difficult process even without a brad nailer although that is going to make the that's process a game changer so much easier game changer well uh okay Anything else you got to say about that? No. What do you got? So, uh, you, you know, some, some of you uh, will have heard us talk about writing instruments, I think, once or twice. And I know Andrew's heard me talk about writing instruments more than he likes. But uh, started a new job here about a month ago and or, you know, two months ago going on, actually, at this point. What happens when you go from being an employee to being an owner is that you realize quickly that you have to buy everything. So as an employee, almost no employees buy pens for using every day. And even as someone who likes pens, I would just order the pens that I liked at the firm. But I couldn't get anything I wanted. I could get something that was available at Quill.com or at Office Depot because that's where our staff went. So I've spent a solid 10 years of my life using a, um, you know, precise v5 which i think Mm -hmm. is a fantastic pen um that's widely available uh sometimes slightly better um sometimes slightly better pens that uh, i just sort of came across or or different pens uh i know you love a pilot g2 i as well love a pilot g2 i've used those um but in getting to make these decisions by myself 
I've gotten to get back to my roots as a pen guy. And so I, I spent about 40 bucks a couple weeks ago and bought pens. I bought pens. And I bought the pens I wanted. And so there's two pens in particular. And these are widely available. You can't get them at Office Depot. You can't get them at Quill. Um, but you can get them online, Amazon. Oh, yeah. I love these pens. Th- there's two of them. There's the, the first one, and Andrew just said, oh, I love these. Uh, the first one is a Uniball made by Mitsubishi, a Uniball Signo Sino? Probably Sino. DX. Yeah, I think Sino. You know, it's so weird. You, you've read these words a billion times, and I've never thought, how do you say that? Uniball Sino DX in a .38 size. These pens are fantastic. It's a gel ink pen. I think these are some of the best pens ever made. For writing pleasure, you can get them in a fine tip, a truly fine tip. .38 is going to give you a very fine line, which I love. They're easy to write with. They're easy to write with the way... The texture feels really nice. The, the, the tactile experience when you're writing with that pen feels good. Gives you some feedback without being scratchy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and these can get a little scratchy, actually. If you damage the the, I'll, I'll say about both the pens I'm going to talk about. If you drop them on the tip from more than about six inches, it can damage the tip. In which case, they do get scratchy, and the ink flow can get damaged. So you you, you don't need to be careful with them because it's a two fifty, you know, two dollars and fifty cent uh, pen, which is not cheap. You know, certainly not cheap, um, but they're not going to be as robust as, say, a zebra. A, a, a ze- well, maybe a zebra. Zebras, ha- zebras <coughs> have some some good cartridges too. So, uh, but Uniball Sino DX. The other one is a Pilot High Tech C. Oh yeah, in the 0.4 millimeter. Uh, these are sold under a couple of different labels. So I think they're the G Tech C in the United States. Uh, if you order them online, the most likely iteration you're going to come up is the High Tech C. Uh, and and within that, they sell a couple different versions of that. But the standard clear crystal plastic um, iteration, the standard high-tech C is the one that most people go for. Uh, and they're fantastic. Golly, they're fantastic. They've got a needle tip uh, versus the Sino, which has, a, you, you know, a, an angled or a, a pointed tip. Um, I don't know. I'm probably not using the correct words. The high-tech C's have a needle tip. So uh, a little bit different feel. You get a little bit diff- more flexibility at the tip, um, you know, or at least it feels more fluid. Um, both of these have very similar lines to them, and they're just wonderful pens. And they're such a pleasure to write with. So after, you know, having been writing primarily with a Pilot Precise V5 for years now, to go back to these very sort of precise Japanese-feeling pens i've just been so happy makes it great to be at work makes it great makes it great <laughs> it's the little things um i will say this blue black ink blue black ink blue black ink is the pen version of a automatic movement i think for me you see someone using blue black ink and you know that person picked that pen because they don't sell blue black ink at Fred Meyer or Office Depot. So if you see someone with blue black ink, you know that they went to a pen place and they bought that on a, at some place and specifically chose it. They chose that. That's a, that's the sign of a collector. Some some sort of higher level of being, of higher of level awareness, pen consciousness. Blue black ink. That's my watch tip for the day. 
All right. My pen tip for the day. But it's a watch tip. It's not a watch tip. It'll do. (laughs) That's what I got, man. I was going to talk about this a couple weeks ago, and you were like, teaser. And I was like, this is so stupid. Nobody's going to (laughs) care. Oh, we teased it. (laughs) Two two pens. Uniball Sino DX and Pilot High Tech C. If if you dig pens at all, they're, they're cheap. I mean, three bucks, which is a lot for a pen, uh, but you can get a 10-pack for 20 bucks or so. But if you take um, care of your pens, like me, or like you, a pen's going to last you a while. That's right. I'm not somebody who loans out pens, and if I do loan out a pen, it doesn't leave my sight. Yeah. You, you know, there's a couple pens that use the, you know, Pilot High Tech C has been, I, I think it's actually almost a little bit passe at this point, because it was so popular six, seven, eight years ago that I, I think people have like sort of, sort of tried to find other things to be that that pen um which as with most things doesn't take away from its greatness as a pen at all uh, I, I don't know of any innovation in the last few years that has dethroned that for me i, I will say i like the the sino dx for sort of all purpose usability maybe just a little bit more i still think the high tech c is great the nice thing about the high tech c is there's a bunch of companies that make pen bodies that take those high-tech C inserts. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are stupid expensive. I know Keras Customs has in the past made some high-tech C specific pen bodies. I don't know that they have anything currently, um, but there are, there are pens out there. There's a famous one. It was one of the earliest Kickstarters I was ever paying attention to called the Pen Type A, and it's this sort of uh, it's this sort of friction fit pen body cap combo. Um, and they're outrageously expensive. I think they're like 200 plus for a pen type A. And they're just this machined, uh, you, you know, it, it's kind of silly, right? It's a little bit silly. But if you do get into it and you want to sort of get a higher end, there's lots of options out there too. So That's a years of pens yeah. in just the body. That's right. Shout out to Matthew Morris, who has given me tons of pen information over the course of the last six months. Helped me with... Uh, a leaky successfully helped me with a leaky um fountain pen that i had converted to an eyedropper mm. and i was having trouble with leaking and he gave me some tips and i followed his tips to the letter and um perfect i haven't had a single leak since so america yeah shout out to matthew morse all right i got nothing else <laughs> uh i guess i don't either all righty space watches space watches pens, pens building shit and New Orleans. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you for joining us for this episode of 40 and 20. Don't forget to tune back in next Thursday for another hour of watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Bye-bye. Bumming on Tremolo by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.